Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. If you have not been with us over the last couple of weeks, we're wrapping up a series today, a short three-part series we've been in. The series is called Amazing, Discovering a Grace That Is Personal. And I've said this every week, um, and I know it may sound like I don't, I don't know why you, know, you would think this is true. I know it's a bit naive, but I, just, I don't know why everybody would want Christianity to be true. And you may not believe it's true, but I even think people who don't believe it's true, they should understand clearly enough the impact of grace that they would say, oh my gosh, I wish it was true. I mean, I don't think it is, but well, wouldn't it be amazing if it was true? Because at the core of the Christianity that Jesus introduced into the world was this extraordinary, personal, life-changing experience that we call grace. Here's how we've defined it over the last couple of weeks. Grace is the unearned, undeserved, unconditional love of God. And the only way you can experience grace is in the context of relationships, which is exactly why Jesus came. He knew for us to experience it personally. He had to be connected with us relationally. And so he shows up, and when you stop and think about it, talk about getting something you don't deserve. God shows up, Jesus shows up, and says, I'm going to do for you exactly what you can't do for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. I'm going to make things right between you and God, make it possible for you to have a relationship with him again. Through his death and resurrection, he's going, I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm, I'm offering you a, a place in God's family once again. He wants to, you to be a son or a daughter of his. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary when you stop and think about what that's like, and then to take it a step further. I mean, God made it so easy. He's like, okay, everybody's invited. Everybody can experience grace the same way. Because again, you can't earn it. So it's not like some people are better behavior than others or scored better than others. No, it's just a level playing field. Nobody can earn it. So everybody gets it freely. Everybody's invited. Everybody can experience it the same way. You just choose to accept it. You just choose to trust what Jesus did for you. Nothing could be more fair. And yet at the same time, it's interesting because... I don't know if there's anything that's more resisted than this idea of grace. Now, it's not resisted when we're in situations, and we've all been there, when we're in situations with people at times, and we feel like, oh, I need it, I need it, and you know, we crave it in those moments. But for some reason, when it comes to our relationship with God, we all have a tendency to resist grace. And I think the reason why is simply this. What is, what's the most difficult gift for you to accept? If you think back over your life, you've had people offer you some things or, or you know, give some gifts to you that you've not wanted to take. Why is that? Well, I think it's because the most difficult gift to accept is the one that you don't feel like you deserve. This is why when people have offered you things at times, you have said, no, 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 that's too much. You're being too generous. That's, that's too extravagant. You know, well, however you described it, there was just something in you that thought, no, that's going too far. I don't deserve that. I'm not worth that. You shouldn't be giving that to me. And I think that may be at the root of part of the problem we have when it comes to grace, because we have all had moments. Whether you're Christian or not, we've all had moments when we came up against this idea of grace and we thought, no, 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 I can't just take it. It's not that easy. I should have to do something to prove that I deserve it. And Jesus showed up and said, no, no, that's true. You know, it is the unearned, undeserved, unconditional love of God. The minute you think you've earned it, you, you hadn't earned it anymore or you can't have it anymore. The minute you think you deserve it, what's well, not grace anymore. And that's why I think it's so powerful sometimes for us to help people see what grace looks like in a really practical way. In other words, for those of us who follow Jesus, when folks look at our lives, 
Grace ought to be so personal and so obvious and so evident to others that they go, okay, well, there's an example of somebody who didn't deserve it. There's an example of somebody who never earned it, but they got it. And if they experienced it, maybe it's possible for me to experience it too. So today what I want to do is talk about something you have all heard about before, something you've all seen before because it's been connected and associated with churches for a long time. But I want to talk about in a context that maybe is brand new for you. Um, It's one of these things that I think demonstrates grace publicly in such a powerful way. It's a simple idea of baptism. Baptism. Some of you, you know, maybe a lot of you, you've already taken this step at some point. But my guess is you didn't fully understand the context. It wasn't your fault. It just wasn't explained. You didn't fully understand the context of why baptism matters so much. I mean, I grew up in a church that it was just a, it's like a box you checked, you know. It was like, okay, well, that's just what you do. Once you begin following Jesus, you just go get baptized. And so you would just do it. And maybe others of you have never taken this step, and there's a lot of confusion around it. And I totally understand that. The, the idea of baptism is confusing for a couple reasons. One, the purpose of baptism gets confusing because depending on what denomination you grew up in or, you know, what churches you've been associated with or connected with or friends, you know, and their backgrounds, You know, people teach different things about the purpose of baptism, so that can get confusing. But the very act of baptism is confusing, too. I mean, good grief. Um, You you walk into a church and you watch a baptism, and you go, oh, wait a minute. I used to do this in the pool with my friends when I was a kid. Like, where else do you dunk somebody underwater? It's a little odd, isn't it? It's like, I don't know what's going on here. You you do that in the pool, and then somehow it showed up in church. It can be a bit hard to understand. So what I want to do today is just give you a little context that maybe you've never known before. It's never been explained to you before, but I want to connect it with this idea of why it's so powerful to help people see the grace that we have experienced. Because for the first century followers of Jesus, if we could go all the way back to that time, they had no confusion around this idea of baptism. This was something they did all the time. As a matter of fact, Luke, who wrote an account of uh, the early church, the history of the early church, it's called Acts, it's in our New Testament. In Acts, 27 different times you read somebody put their trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, said, I'm going to start following Jesus, and then they were baptized, an individual or a group. I mean, 27 different times you see this. So clearly it wasn't unusual for them. It made sense to them, and somehow we've lost the cultural context over the years. I'll give you one quick example out of Acts. Early on when the first church began, it's about 40 days after Jesus had left the earth. There are about 120 Jesus followers, men and women, who were in Jerusalem. And Peter has an opportunity to share about the death and resurrection of Jesus with a large, large group of Jewish people who are there in Jerusalem for a religious festival. And as he shares this, a lot of these people begin to follow Jesus. And Luke, as he describes this for us, tells us this in Acts chapter 2. He says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it's interesting. It's like, okay, why would you say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, and immediately this would be such an important thing to you that you'd want to get baptized? Why would they do that? I'm going to explain that, but before I do, I need to give you some context. And ladies, I need a little bit of grace here, okay, because I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're a man, and that is a terrible thing to do, all right? But just 
Hang with me for a second because it's first century context and culture, so we got to do it this way. I want you to imagine that you're living in the first century, that you're a businessman, and you live somewhere in the Roman Empire, all right? You got a father who's Roman, you've got a mother who's Greek, because that would have been normal, which means you grew up in a home where you were aware of all the Roman and Greek gods. There were a lot of them. So you were familiar with Zeus, Hades, Poseidon, you know, on and on and on. You can name them all. You're familiar with all them. But that religious system, if you will, it was almost like a low hum in the background of your family because nobody took it very seriously. The only time you took your religion seriously was when bad things were happening to you and you assumed you'd made one of the gods angry. And you didn't know which god you'd made angry, so you had to you know, kind of play that game, shell game, and try to figure out what can I do to you know, make things turn in my favor again. But other than that, you didn't really care. Nobody cared. Your family didn't care about religion. It was just a low hum in the background. And then as time goes on, your business, for whatever reason, takes you to the nation of Israel and you move, relocate to the capital city of Jerusalem. You bring your whole family there. And now you're doing business among Jewish people. And these Jewish people, you discover really quickly, have a belief that you have never seen before. It just seems strange and weird. They don't believe in any of the Roman and Greek gods. They believe in one God. They believe he was the creator of everything. And they have centered their entire lives around following him and his teaching. And it's just odd to you. It's odd to you because they continue to be fully devoted to a God who doesn't seem to be doing anything good for them. I mean, after all, the Romans occupy them. And God's not doing anything to help them there. They're oppressed. God's not doing anything to help them there. And you know in your background, you know, if if the gods weren't doing anything to benefit you, you'd walk away from them a long time ago. So how are they continuing to stay so devoted? It makes you so curious that you start asking questions, you pick up and start reading their Jewish scriptures... And suddenly you start to realize, oh, wait a minute, this is interesting. This may be why they stay so devoted. This idea of one true God who created everything seems to start making some sense to you. And so you start asking all your Jewish buddies about it. And eventually you get to the point where you look at them and you say, okay, um, is there any way, because I'm, I'm kind of buying into this, is there any way that I could become Jewish and I could practice Judaism, which was the Jewish religion, and follow your one true God. Because it's obvious it's mainly just Jewish people who do it. Is there any way as a non-Jewish person that I can become a part of this? And your buddies say, well, we don't know. You got to go talk to the priest, right? So they send you off to the temple and to the temple you go and you meet with the priest and you tell them the whole deal and you say, I'm really interested in this. Is there any way to make this happen? And the priests say, yes, there is. Um, but there's a five-step process. And if you are willing to go through this five-step process in order to become Jewish, then you can quote-unquote convert. You can change your identity. You can become a part of Judaism. And you're like, all right, well, what's the process? Can't be too hard. And they're like, well, hold on just a minute. Because step number one is circumcision. And you think, Zeus is sounding better all the time, okay? Thank you for your time. I'm on my way. But they're like, no, 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 it gets easier after this. And you're like, well, I'm here. I might as well hear the rest of it out. Okay, so they say, number one, you, you got to be circumcised. Number two, you've got to adopt, memorize and adopt the law of Moses. And you're thinking, okay, well, the memorization part will be hard, but adopting it's not going to be hard because, you know, I've been reading the Jewish scriptures. This is what's interested me. I, I think the law of Moses, it's, it seems revolutionary for our time. It makes a lot of sense. I'll, 
I want to follow the law of Moses. So that one's okay. They say, all right, well, number three, you have to eat a covenant meal. And now you got a big grin on your face because you're like, I love to eat. So that's no problem at all, you know? They're like, well, this is a special meal. And you're like, doesn't matter. Just bring it on. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. All right. So he said, once you get that done, the fourth step is you got to go make a temple sacrifice. And you're thinking, well, I've never been in the temple because they wouldn't let non-Jewish people in the temple, but it can't be too hard, right? It's going to cost me some money, get an animal that's going to be a sacrifice, but I'm sure they'll show me what to do when I get there. So you're tracking along with them. And then they say, once you've done all four of those things, the fifth and final step is you have to do what we call a ritual washing, ritual washing. Now, here's how this would work. This was a symbolic thing. They're like, once you've done everything else and you've met all the requirements to become Jewish, we want you to go with your family, with your friends, and we want you to dip or immerse yourself in a body of water and come back up. And you're like, what is the point of that? And they said, well, the point is it's symbolic. As you go underwater, it's symbolic of the fact that you are washing away and letting go your Gentile, non-Jewish identity and all the things that come with that. It's symbolic, you're letting all that go. And then when you come out of the water, it's symbolic that you're taking on a new identity, a Jewish identity, that you're gonna follow the one true God from this point forward. So you hear all these things, you know, and you're like, okay, well, this is interesting. I need to go back and talk this through with my wife, especially number one. Gotta, Gotta talk this through and think about this. So you say, hey, could you possibly write down for me all five of these steps, and I'll take it back, let her see it. And so they do, and they write in Greek because you're not Jewish, so you don't know Hebrew, so they write it in Greek for you, okay? And when they get to number five, the Greek word they write for this ritual washing is the word baptizo. Well, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? The interesting thing about baptizo is it was just a normal, everyday Greek word. There was nothing religious about it. You hear baptism now, and you immediately think church, and you think religion. There was zero religious about it at the time. Matter of fact, they used it in all kinds of uh, scenarios and all kinds of ways. For instance, if they were in a battle and one of the ships got sunk, they would look at their friend and say, we baptized that ship. That's how they would describe it because it meant to, to wash, to immerse, to dip, or sometimes to drown. Okay, so they were like, we, we baptized that ship. Um, you can find first century recipes for pickles where they say, you need to take the cucumber and baptizo it in the vinegar. That's how they would describe it. Um, When you go home, you can take your Oreos and dunk them in milk and you baptizo the Oreo. That's how that works, okay? So some of you, all of a sudden, you're like, I'm into this. You can go home and try it this afternoon. It's all spiritual, right? So, So that was just a normal term. There's nothing special about it. All right. So when they're looking at this, at you, you know, as a, a businessman in the first century and they're giving you this list, you're reading it and go, oh, okay. At the end, there's a baptizo. I got to immerse or, you know, dip myself in a bottle, body of water and come back up. And that's the final step. So this is how it was understood back then. Which brings up the question, well, why in the world would 3,000 new followers of Jesus on the day the church launched in Jerusalem... Why would they grab a Jewish ritual that was used to convert somebody, to signify somebody converted to Judaism and to Jewishness, why would they rip that out of their history and start practicing it following Jesus now? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Except, just before Jesus left this earth, he looked at a group of men and women, about 120 of them, and he gave them some marching orders. And his marching orders for what he wanted them to do 
their mission was interesting. And maybe some of you are familiar with this. Jesus looked at them and said, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Not make Christians. They didn't even use that term back then. And today, Christian means more of, uh, you just believe a certain set of beliefs, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. This idea of making disciples, well, it carried a lot more punch, if you will. You became a disciple of someone when you were willing to not only adopt their beliefs, but you were willing to adopt their way of life. So people would be disciples of certain rabbis or certain leaders, and it was their way of saying, I have chosen to live my life the way they say life ought to be lived. So Jesus says, all right, I want you to go, and I want you to find people who are willing to adopt my way of life. Not just believe. I want, I want you to find people who are willing to trust my death and resurrection and then align their life as a result with what I have taught. I want you to find people who will sync the rhythm of their life up with my way of life. I want you to go make disciples. And when you find people who are willing to trust me and engage in that and begin to follow my way of life, Jesus says, then I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to immerse them to us so that they are letting everybody know they are associating with the name, the character, the likeness of God. And then, he says, after that, you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So why in the world would Jesus look at a group of his followers and say, hey, because they were all Jewish at the time, hey, you're Jewish, and you understand what it takes for somebody who's not Jewish to become Jewish? You know that final step, that baptizo when they do, that ritual washing? All right, well, we're going we're gonna to steal that from them. We're going to bring it over here and make it a part of following me now. Why in the world would he do that? Well, he did that because he knew Judaism, the Jewish religion that people converted to. He knew he had brought that to a close. He brought that to a close. He landed that plane, if you will. The old covenant that Judaism was built on, the law of Moses that was built on, he had fulfilled all that. He taught that. So he says, no, no, no. You're never going to need that again because no one's ever going to need to convert to Judaism anymore. There is a brand new thing that I've introduced into the world. But this brand new thing, when you choose to trust me, when you choose to adopt my way of life, when you choose to follow me, well, people need to know. Because experiencing grace, think about it, experiencing grace, well, that's something extraordinary that happens to you. And it can be very personal for you but it is not tangible to any of the people around you, is it? In other words, when you experience grace, when you begin a relationship with God, that all happens internally. And it's remarkable. But the people around you don't see it. Hopefully they eventually feel it, but they can't see it. And so Jesus said, as people begin to follow me, they need a symbolic, tangible, visible way to let their friends, family, the people who live around them, to let them know, I have been changed by the grace that Jesus came to offer us. And so, we're going to take this ritual washing and we're going to make it a symbolic thing that people can do to show visibly what's already happened to them internally. And today, we call that baptism. And one way you can think of baptism is this. Baptism is just my public decoration of a new association with God's amazing grace. Baptism is my way of saying, just like in the, the old Jewish you know, uh, ritual, just like they washed away their Gentileness when they went down, it was symbolic of them taking on their Jewishness when they came up. Jesus says, all right, I want you to let the people around you know that grace has changed you. I want you to give them a symbol of 
the difference it's made in your life. And the easiest way to do that is through baptism. But it doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. Now, when you go underwater, it's a symbol that you're letting go of your old identity that was apart from God, that you're letting go of all the sin that had never been forgiven. And you're coming up a forgiven person, a free person, a person who's now got a brand new identity as a son or daughter of God. It's just a symbol that your identity has changed and your association has changed and you are now aligning with me. This is why the Apostle Paul, if you've read any of the New Testament documents he wrote, the Apostle Paul often talks about baptism in this symbolic way. And maybe you've heard people in churches at a baptism use this terminology. Paul would say, you're, as you go underwater, you're being buried with Christ. And when you come up out of water, you're raised to newness of life. Well, the reason Paul would use that terminology is because he understood what happened that day Jesus gave his life on a cross. I mean, he showed up to write a check for us we couldn't write to pay a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus knew, oh my gosh, God's perfect. And only perfection is allowed in God's presence. And as much as he wants a relationship with all of us, we all chose imperfection. And here's the challenge of that. You know this. If the goal or the standard is perfection and you're imperfect, it's not like you can be more perfect to make up for being less perfect and balance out at perfect. It doesn't work that way, does it? Once you're imperfect, you're imperfect. And so Jesus said, I'm going to do for them what they can't do for themselves. I'm going to show up and live a perfect, sinless life. And I'm going to die on a cross to pay the penalty for all their sins, to make it possible for them to be in God's presence, to be a part of his family again. I'm going to offer all of that freely. The forgiveness is there. That's what grace looks like. And it's up to them to decide whether they want to take it. But if they do, I'll give them my perfection. I'll take on all their sin. And so as Jesus was buried... The reason the Apostle Paul talks about the way he does is because Paul saw it as Jesus carried all of your sin and all of my sin straight into that tomb with him. He took it all. So we didn't have to keep carrying it. So you're buried with Jesus, but you're raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, you get a fresh start because that's what Jesus offers all of us. You say, well, Matt, how in the world do you believe that? Well, I only believe that because of the resurrection. You can trust what Jesus said because he rose from the dead. That was his way of saying, you know, all this stuff I told you I'm going to do, I really am who I say I am, and I've done it all because I just walked out of a tomb, so now you can trust me. And so those early followers of Jesus, it made perfect sense to them to do this. Not because they thought they had to do it to have a relationship with God. They were doing it to let the people around them who had never experienced grace see, oh my gosh, this is what grace looks like. Let me tell you about what's going on inside of me by doing something publicly, by taking this grace publicly to you and letting you see it for yourself. Now, I bring that up because some of you, you know, you're like me, you, at some point in your life you were baptized, but maybe it was just a, a thing you did, you know, is check the box, they told you to do it, you did it, or, you know, whatever is important to your parents, so you did it, you know, however that played out. But you may have never actually understood the significance of what was happening there. You may have never actually understood, hey, that is symbolic of a grace that has absolutely changed your life. You may not have realized it was a way for you to demonstrate to all the people who are a part of your life, this is what's going on inside of me. This is how grace has changed me. And so as you see baptisms in the future, and we'll have them here, you know, wherever, as you see baptisms in the future, I hope it causes you to pause 
and not think, oh, they're just, you know, kind of going through that thing. It's important. I don't know why they're doing it. I hope when you see baptisms in the future, it causes you to pause and go, there's a picture of what grace looks like. There's a reminder of how grace has changed me. Some of you, you've made a decision in the last year or two, maybe for some of you it's been a long time ago, to follow Jesus, to trust him, his death and resurrection, to adopt his way of life as best you can to try to follow him. But you've never taken the step of baptism. It's probably not your fault. Nobody's ever explained to you why it matters or why it's important. And the thing I would encourage you to do is consider this. I'd encourage you to consider taking that step because there are people in your life who can't get their head around what grace means. They can't get their head around it because it just feels like, oh, everything in life you've got to earn. Everything in life you've got to deserve. And for them to see a picture of what's happened inside of you, for them to see a symbolic expression of how grace has changed you, what well, just might help them realize grace is possible for them too. You never know the impact that is going to make. So if you've never taken that step, you should explore it. You can have a conversation with us. We've made it easy. You can scan the QR code and seat back in front of you. It says explore baptism right at the top. You can go to our app. You see the same thing. You can stop by the suite, however you want to do that. But you ought to consider taking that step, not just for you. I mean, it'll be meaningful for you. It'll be a chance for you to celebrate and express your gratitude for the grace that God's given you. But it'll also be a chance to show the people around you, hey, it's possible for anybody. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It's available for everyone. I'm telling you, I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. Because grace is what we need the most in our lives. And we know that. And if it really is true that it exists, if it really is true that God extends it to us, if it really is true that in spite of the fact we broke our relationship with God, he's trying to bring us back into his family so we can be a son or a daughter of his. I mean, good grief. If that's true, if forgiveness really is free, why wouldn't we all want that? Why wouldn't we all be overwhelmed with gratitude for that? And why wouldn't we all be changed personally by it? The unconditional, undeserved, unearned love of God. That's what grace is. And fortunately for you and fortunately for me, it's the thing that God most wants to give us if we'll accept it. Would you pray with me? Father, for the people who we're friends with or you know, family members that they have such a hard time understanding this, would you give them um, the ability just to see grace in us, that we'll live our lives in such a way that it'll be obvious what grace looks like, that we'll demonstrate grace towards them in such a way that they'll begin to feel how powerful it is. And for those of us who follow you, um, in spite of everything that we've got to do, would you help us not to lose sight of how extraordinary grace has been in our own lives and continues to be? Help us to slow down enough to pause and to allow grace to fill us with gratitude. For those who, maybe they're following you, but they've never taken the step of baptism. They've never taken a step to publicly celebrate and show what that grace has meant to them. Would you give them the courage just to take the step? 
because I bet they've got family. I bet they have friends. I bet there are people in their life who, if they, if they saw grace, it would help them consider it. And we're so thankful, Jesus, for your death and resurrection and all that you did to make it possible for us to be a part of your family. And we never want to take that for granted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.